There is a power in the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the ability to transform a person's life. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about a man whose life was radically transformed as a result of meeting Jesus Christ. I don't know where every one of you are in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may be here this morning, you are simply exploring Christianity. Maybe you were invited by a friend. Maybe you've come for some other reason. I don't know. But I will tell you this, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who desires to transform your life, to take you and to make you into a new creation. As I read the Word of God, as I have read the Word of God throughout my life, I see that simple truth from the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. God desires to transform people's lives. He is in the transformation business. That's what he does. It's taking someone's life who is an utter wreck, taking them and making them into a new creation. I was reminded of that this week as I sat in my office and I thought about last Sunday morning when those five individuals came forward and they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I was reminded of the fact when they trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, their lives were radically transformed at that moment in time. I want you to stop and think for a moment. I want you to go back to that time in your life where you met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Just go back. Think about when you gave your heart and your life to Him. And then what I want you to do is just go forward to who you are today. And I want you to be able to see the transformation that has taken place in your life as a result of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you see it there? I know in my own life, I tell my wife all the time, I said, you wouldn't have really wanted to meet me before 25. You wouldn't have wanted anything to do with me before 25, which is probably true because she was in high school. She was still 17. <laughs> But she still wouldn't have wanted anything to do in my life. But as I look back over the last 28 years of my life, what I see is God has radically transformed me into a different person than I was before. And that's what He wants to do in all of our lives. It's hard for me to believe we can come face to face with the Savior and not be transformed. Not be transformed. So this morning I want us to look at a story in God's Word where we see this simple truth. It is so very clear in this story. So if you have your Bibles or your device, I would ask that you open them up to John the 5th chapter. John the 5th chapter, we've been traveling through, walking through this great book, the Gospel of John, learning about who Jesus Christ is. Now if you were here last Sunday morning, we left Jesus Christ in the town of Canaan. If you remember that story, there was a man, a royal official, who came to Jesus Christ and he asked Jesus to heal his son. His son was at the point of death and this man, when we look, he was frantic, he was desperate, he was at the end of his rope and as a result of that, he went to the very last place, he went to Jesus Christ looking for Jesus Christ to provide the answer for his problem. And of course, in that story, Jesus Christ speaks, and as a result, 
this young boy is healed. And at the end of the story, John, the gospel writer, tells us this is the second sign that Jesus Christ performed. Now remember, a sign points to something greater than itself. A sign points to something greater than itself. The story is not just about the healing of the royal official's son. It pointed to something greater. It pointed to who Jesus Christ was, that Jesus Christ had power over all sickness, all disease, all illness. Jesus Christ is the one who provides healing in a person's life. He uses medicine. He uses doctors at times, but ultimately all spiritual and physical healing comes from Jesus Christ. That's the truth of God's Word. We need to remember that. Before we consult any doctor, we ought to always consult the master. We ought to always consult the master. And so we see Jesus perform this sign. And through that sign, we see that Jesus Christ has power over disease and illness. And we see something else in that story. We have a beautiful picture of genuine saving faith. Genuine saving faith. Saving faith is based in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There is no salvation apart from this book right here. It is only through this book that we discover who Jesus Christ is, and it is through the words of this book that the Holy Spirit speaks or draws or convicts us with these words to draw us unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we see that very clearly in this story. Now, since we left Jesus there, the disciples and Jesus Christ have traveled south down to Jerusalem. It is one of the major feasts of Judaism. They have gone to the temple to worship God and to celebrate this feast. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. I want you to see this because sometimes I think we look at the temple and we misunderstand what it was. The temple was a huge complex made up of many different courts. There was the outer court that was for the Gentiles, the court of Gentiles. Once you stepped into the temple proper itself, there was the court of women once you stepped through the court of women and you went further into the temple, there was the court of men. Just on the other side of the court of men was where the priests performed their daily duties. And beyond that was the Holy of Holies where the veil was located. As a result of this being such a huge complex, there were a number of different entry points into the temple. The one to the farthest north was referred to as the Sheep Gate. Outside of the Sheep Gate, there was a pool. It was referred to or called by the name Bethesda. And the Jewish people believed once a day an angel would come down out of heaven, stir the waters, and the first person that entered into the waters after the angel stirred it would be healed. John tells us in the fifth chapter 
that there is a multitude of people that have gathered at the pool of Bethesda on this day when Jesus Christ shows up. I want you to get that picture in your mind. We don't know exactly how many a multitude is, but I would say there was at least hundreds, if not maybe thousands, that had gathered on that day. You know what's most amazing to me in this story? Jesus chooses to heal only one. Think about that for a moment. Out of all of the multitude of people that are lying there, waiting to be healed, Jesus heals only one man. One. Let's begin to read this story together in chapter 5. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to the temple, or up to Jerusalem, This was required of all Jewish men. There were three feasts that were holy that they were required to attend throughout the year. We're not told exactly what feast this is, but it's one of those three that he went up to be a part of, to celebrate at the temple. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. The word Bethesda means mercy. You know, here in America, we have different hospitals that have the term Bethesda in it. When I was in the military, the Naval Hospital in uh, San Diego was referred by that. It was the uh, Bethesda Hospital. And so this was a very common name. It simply means mercy is what it means. Now listen, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. You see that right there? A multitude, a large group is what he says. And in verse 4 it says, holy or in part waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease they had. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Isn't that such an odd question? I find that question to be very odd. I would think the man would respond to Jesus Christ by saying, well, why else do you think I'm laying here? I mean, I've been coming here every day for 38 years. Why do you think I'm here if I don't want to be healed? But that is not how this man responds to the question. Do you know what he's going to say? Well, listen to his words right here. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus looks at the man and said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. 
which is one of the most holy days of all the Jewish days. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is most likely religious leaders, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Now I want us to just stop right there. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes in churches, the most religious people tend to be the most critical? I mean, you think about this story. 38 years, this man has been a cripple. No doubt some of these religious leaders had seen Jesus, I mean, had seen this man laying at the pool. When he is healed, he's up walking around carrying his bed. You would think they would be jumping up and down rejoicing at what God has done in his life. But instead, what is the problem? The problem is this man is bearing his burden on the Sabbath, which was against the law. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, had a list of do's and don'ts for the, uh, for the, the Sabbath day. There were 39 things you could not do on the Sabbath day. One of those things was you could not carry your burden on the Sabbath day. You know, religious people are just like that, aren't they? Religious people love to have a list of do's and don'ts. You can't do this, you can do that, and when you do something you shouldn't do or you fail to do what you should do, they're more than willing to point out to you, hey, you're not following the list. They become very critical. Rather than praising what God is doing in your life, oftentimes they are the most critical people in the church. They are just like these religious leaders. They are just like the Pharisees in this story. They're critical of what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of people. Isn't that true? That was so true in this story. Rather than celebrating what God had done in this man's life, they criticized him for carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. You know what they were saying? You're not religious enough. You're not religious enough. Listen to what else happens here in this story. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, It is Jesus or it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath day. You know, when I read this story, I'm always left with one pressing, burning question. This is it. Why did Jesus only heal one man? I mean, think about it. 
We just learned in the last story that Jesus Christ has power over disease. Jesus Christ could have walked to that colonnade that day and the hundreds or the thousands that are laying there, he could have looked at them and he could have said one word, healed, and everybody would have got up and gone home. I mean, it's been proving Jesus Christ in the story before with the royal official just speaks the word. The boy is 20 miles away, and at the very time he spoke the word that your son is healed, according to the story, the man's son was healed at that very moment. Jesus could have spoke, and everybody in that place would have been healed. All of them. But can I suggest to you this morning that the miracle in this story serves a greater purpose than just the healing of this man. Is it possible that this healing served a greater purpose? That Jesus Christ wanted to teach us something significant concerning our spiritual lives? I think that's exactly the reason why Jesus Christ only chose one man to heal in this story because he wanted to teach us a very important lesson. From this standpoint, what he wanted us to understand is every person stands in need of transformation. Every person's life stands in need of spiritual transformation. So what does he do? He takes this one man, he singles them out, and through healing this man, he's going to teach us some very important truths about spiritual transformation in the hearts and the lives of people. Let me give you three truths this morning. Three truths, you may want to jot these down. First, like this man, people are all helpless to change their condition. Like this man in the story, every person is helpless to change their condition. Not our physical condition, but our spiritual condition. Don't you see that here in this story? Jesus Christ asked this man this very odd question, do you want to be healed? But what's more odd to me is how the man responds. The man responds to Jesus Christ by saying, I can't get... no." I don't have anyone to help me to get into the water when it's stirred. Ultimately, what the man was saying is, I am helpless. It is beyond my capability to change my physical condition. Try as he might, at the end of the day, this man was just as much a cripple as he was at the beginning of the day. And without help, he was incapable of changing his physical condition. Can I tell you this morning, the same is true for us spiritually. Mankind is utterly helpless to change their spiritual condition. They can work and become more religious. They can stop doing bad and start doing more good. They can even address their attitude and their character But at the end of the day, they are as much a sinner as they were at the beginning of the day. The very clear teaching of God's Word is this, that every single person is dead in their trespasses and sin and are living under the wrath of God. No one has the power to make themselves spiritually alive. Try as we might, we are helpless to change our spiritual condition just like this man in this story. If there's any truth we learn in this story, it is that. 
Don't you see it there in this story? This man was utterly helpless to change his physical condition. The same is true in our lives. Number two, what a person can't do for themselves, Jesus can do for them. Let me say it one more time. What Jesus or what a person cannot do for themselves, Jesus can do for them. Now, we've already discovered that this man was helpless to change his situation, but Jesus could. Let's go back to the story, and I want you to follow this dialogue once again that's taking place between Jesus and this man. Look quickly with me in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to, him, said to them, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Take your bed and walk. Did you see it in that story? What this man was powerless to do in his own life, Jesus Christ had the power to do it. This man was incapable of changing his physical condition, but Jesus Christ looks at this man and says, Hey, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at that moment, he has changed. His physical condition is changed. The same is true spiritually. When every, what every person is powerless to do in their own life to make themselves into a new creation, Christ has the power to do it. Salvation is not found in our ability to change our own lives. Let me say that again. This is so very important. Salvation is not found in our ability to change our own lives. We've all heard that old saying that God helps those who help themselves. Can I just go on the record this morning by saying that is a lie. That is a lie. The exact opposite of that is true. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Listen, folks, if we could help ourselves, why in the world would He need to send Jesus Christ to hang and die on the cross to take care of our sin problem if it was just about us making ourselves more religious or changing our attitude or stop doing bad and start doing good? That is not it. We are utterly helpless when it comes to changing our spiritual condition what we cannot do for ourselves Jesus Christ can do for us there is nothing that is more clear in this story than that don't you see that Jesus Christ reached down and he touched this man incapable of changing his own condition and Jesus Christ touched him and he was forever transformed Number three, I want you to listen to it carefully. Number three, like this man, Jesus Christ wants to heal you. Like this man, Jesus Christ wants to heal you. Now listen to me carefully this morning. The single greatest healing that can take place in a person's life 
is not physical healing. It is spiritual healing. Now think about this for a moment. A multitude lying sick at the pool of Bethesda. If physical healing is the greatest thing a person can experience, so all Jesus Christ has to do is to speak the word. Heal. Everybody is healed. But do you notice? That is not what Jesus Christ chooses to do. Through his very actions, he is teaching us a very important truth. What he wants us to realize and to understand is this. Spiritual healing is always more important than physical healing. That's what Jesus Christ is trying to teach in this story. It's also very clear. Now, I want you to listen to what is going to take place in this story. Next day, Jesus Christ goes up to the temple. No doubt the man has gone there to thank God for what has taken place in his life. He has been healed after 38 years. You can imagine there's great joy in his heart and his life. He's gone up to make sacrifices unto the Lord. Now, I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus Christ ran into this man in the temple. It is a divine appointment. And what I want you to notice is this, is the statement that Jesus Christ makes to this man. It is so interesting. Listen to what it says. See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That's kind of a strange statement, isn't it? You are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus Christ makes the statement to this man, stop your sinning. That's what he says to him. Now, as I think about that, I ask myself the question, why in the world does Jesus Christ make such a statement to this man? Why does he tell him, stop your sinning? Let me just share with you several observations that can be gained from this statement of Jesus Christ. First, Jesus wasn't teaching that this man was lame because of some specific sin that had happened in his life. It is true that suffering and sickness exist because of sin, but nowhere does Jesus Christ teach that a person is inflicted by an illness or some kind of disability due to a specific sin in their life. That is what some people believed in this day. And I will tell you this, there's some people that believe that still today. They look at a person who has been afflicted with some kind of disease or disability, and this is what they say. Well, that person's just getting what they deserve. Listen, we live in a fallen world. And as a result of that, there is disease and sickness that indiscriminately visits people's lives. That is the truth of God's Word. Number two. What did Jesus mean when he said, stop sinning or something worse will happen in your life? I think about that statement. Now think about it. What worse could happen in this man's life? 38 years of being crippled, and now Jesus is going to make the statement to him, oh, and if you don't stop sinning, something worse can happen in your life. I'm like, oh my, what does Jesus mean when he makes such a statement that... 
is it possible that what Jesus Christ is referring to is not the physical but the spiritual? Spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell for a person's refusal to trust Jesus Christ as the provision for their salvation? That would be a whole lot worse than being sick physically, would it not? You see... This man didn't just stand in need of physical transformation. This man also stood in need of spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation. Third is the word well. You know, at the beginning of the story and the dialogue with Jesus and the man at the pool, Jesus doesn't say to the man, do you want to walk? He says to the man, do you want to walk? to be healed. That word healed in the Greek is a very unique word. It means to be made whole. Do you want to be made whole? Later on, Jesus Christ is going to say to him, See, you are well. The unique thing is that word well and that word healed, the same exact Greek word. You have been made whole. But don't miss it. But there's a greater need in your life. You've been made physically whole. But I would tell you, you need to be made spiritually. You see, this man stood in need of spiritual transformation. Can I say to you this morning that our greatest need in life is to be made spiritually It is not to gain the treasures of this world. Simply as the choir sang earlier, give me Jesus. Is Jesus really enough in your life this morning? Just give me Jesus is what they sang. I would tell you today in the same way, that this man's life was transformed in an instant when Jesus Christ spoke the words, get up, take up your bed, and walk. God's desire is to transform every single person's life in the same way, not physically, but spiritually. And he's willing to transform a person's life if they're willing to turn away from a life of sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, trusting that Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin. He is willing to transform their life. You see, I think the greatest question we can ask as we walk away from this story today is this, has my life been spiritually transformed by Jesus Christ? Let's pray.